1: Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. This is going to be the Bee Buzz Episode 5. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. I do appreciate you, and as always, feel free to reach out, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Like I've mentioned before, I think about 90% of the content comes from questions and uh, things that you folks ask, so please keep those coming, and uh, hopefully we can get some more content out there that can be of value and use to you. First off, I want to take a second to thank everyone. We kind of hit a little bit of a milestone here on the podcast. Now, I'm sure anybody who is a professional podcaster who wakes up every day and produces a lot of content you know, is going to hear this number, and they're like, yeah, I do that every day. But we just went over 100,000 downloads a couple of weeks ago, which I think is pretty cool, and I owe that all to all of you. So thank you so, so very much for taking the time to listen and guess the next big one will be like a million so we'll see if we can get there but you know honestly i never thought that i'd have more than like eight or nine people listening so the fact that we're we're able to save people a few bucks here and there and uh, get a couple of tips and tricks out there i mean that's what it's all about for me so i'm very happy very excited about it uh truly blessed so thank all of you very very much so getting down to uh The Nitty Gritty here. I have been uh, trying to get this episode out for a long time. It was a busy spring. There's a lot going on. There are several things that I'm definitely going to discuss today. There are a whole lot of things that I'm probably not going to discuss. I kind of struggle with this one quite a bit because, like I said before, the B-Buzz episodes are more around kind of chit-chatty, answering questions, and uh, putting a few personal updates in. And that was because I you know I got a little bit of feedback from some people that were like, Hey, I I don't really care about all the personal stuff. I just want to hear the facts and I want to hear about specific topics. So I figured it's the best of both worlds. It gives me a chance to kinda chat a little bit about things that are on my mind and you know, simultaneously answer some questions in sort of a you know ad hoc, you know, unstructured type of approach. Yeah, there are some things I really, really want to talk about. And every time I sat down to start recording over the past few weeks, I started drifting into that conversation a little bit. And I think it's one of those things where it doesn't really matter what you believe in this country today. Whatever comes out of your mouth, probably 40 to 60 percent of the country is going to disagree with you. It doesn't matter. You can say the sky is blue and half the country is going to go, no, it's green. I mean, like it, it literally doesn't matter what you talk about today. If you say anything about anything, you're pretty much going to alienate someone. So that's why I've really avoided talking about all the things that I really want to talk about. It's almost, I'm almost at a point seriously where I'm, I'm thinking I need to set up a separate podcast so I can talk about those things and kind of get that. I think there's a lot of useful, valuable information that could, could be, you know, put out in that kind of a forum. But talking about honeybees probably is not the best place for it. So I had to kind of stop myself a few times and say, all right, let me come back and record this later. So that was part of the delays. The other part, you know, I didn't have as much new information cuz quite frankly I haven't been traveling to the apiary as much as I'd like to. You know, with diesel running, I have a diesel truck, so with diesel running around 6 bucks a gallon, you know, that that's a little bit pricey to run back and forth up and down the road. So that contributed to it. Um, I do have a bit of a, a kind of a bad update here, as you might remember. I think it was the first week of April. I did some uh, some early splits. Now at my house, I've kept you know my honeybees at my house for for several years, and yeah, you know, and my spring comes a little bit earlier. You know, I live on the coast, so having you know, being surrounded by water. Uh, It's a little bit warmer in the wintertime. It's a little bit cooler in the summertime than it is inland. And, you know, I did all these splits on on the hives that are down at the apiary, which is, of course, you know, well inland. I really, I knew I was being a little aggressive. I knew it was early, but I thought, you know, it's going to be fine. You know, the temperatures had been fairly warm. We had really good weather. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll roll the dice a little bit. It's a little bit early, but we'll see what happens. So I did those splits, and this was basically, you know, a single frame with a brand-new queen and across all 12. And I think it was the night after I did the split, the temperature hit about 39. The next night, it was below freezing. The next night, it was, like, right at freezing. And then we had a couple days where it was a, you know, relatively normal nighttime temp in, like, the, you know, low 50s or something like that. And then that next week, I got hit again with one or two nights of some freezing temperatures. And I went to do my inspection, and all 12 of them were dead. They had all frozen. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I knew better. I knew it was aggressive, but I really didn't take into consideration how much cooler that it was inland versus, you know, here where I've been at the house on the coast. So I lost all of them. So again, you know, the primary purpose for me being here is to make a lot of mistakes so that I can pass those mistakes on to all of you so that you don't make the same ones I made. So that's what happened to my splits. So for all the folks who've emailed and said, "Hey, man, what's going on with those splits?" I haven't heard anything. There, uh, there you go. So that's the big update on that. So shifting over to a couple of, I'm just kind of reading through my notes. I've got so many notes I've put together over the past month or two. So I'm just gonna, they're gonna be a little bit random in order here, but following up on a couple more personal updates here. Uh, let's see. I've got my first daughter is officially off the payroll now. She graduated from college here in, uh, in May. So that's pretty exciting. Very proud of her. Very happy for her. And uh, got a couple more, a <laughs> couple more to go, but that's all right. It's all good. Uh, let's see. It's kind of been a tough year, I mean, I think we all know economically it's a tough year, and that's one of the things I'm going to stay away from. But um, I've, I've I've lost a few folks this year. My dad's youngest sister, um, she passed away in January. His older sister passed away in, I think it was April. Uh, we just did her service up at Arlington National Cemetery a couple of weeks ago. So we got both of them, and then a real good friend of mine, a guy that I worked with for several years down in Texas, uh, he had a tragic accident on his property and uh and this guy man, he was just larger than life, man. He was one of those guys that he was just an animal. I mean, everybody loved him. He was a funny guy, super sharp guy. I mean, god, it just it was crazy, crazy to to see or to hear of that. So that that was kind of sad. I was able to get down to texas and see some of the the guys from the old team and and catch up with them but uh but yeah that was kind of sad and then and the last one is a guy that i know um know from church here locally uh he was in his 80s and i knew he and his wife his wife passed away a few years ago and i mean they you know they were uh, married over 50 years and um he just worshipped the ground she walked on and it was really, really tough to, to see her, to see her go. And, and, um, you know he made it, you know, a few years without her, but, you know, he was never quite the same, I don't think. But he passed away a couple of weeks ago. So we just had his service last weekend. So it's been, I think I've been to you know, three funerals in the past couple of months, which is kind of, kind of uncool. I don't, I'm not a big fan, but, you know, it's one of those things, I guess we, uh, we're all going to be there sooner or later, but anyway, so it's been an interesting year so far on, on that front. So I think now man, I'm just going to jump in here and go right into some questions that have come in here and also talk about some upcoming episodes. So let me, let me hit the upcoming episodes. Now these are kind of subject to change depending on, you know, where my notes are and what I can find and, and whether or not I completely have my act together. But the next episode that I'm going to be recording right after this today is going to be, uh, it's called, you know, Free Honeybees for All. This is relating to swarm traps. A lot of people have asked before about, you know, what is a swarm trap? How do they work? You know, when should I use them? So we're going to do an episode about that, and we'll cover those. Uh, The next episode beyond that, episode 31, is going to be, What Happened to My Queen? So this is a common challenge, particularly in the spring, When you have queens, you know, new virgin queens being born, flying mating flights, you know, supersedure, you know, all kinds of things that can happen. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, There's been some requests around, you know, should I split? When to split? What do I do after I've split the colony? Ways to just expand an existing colony. So we're going to kind of do an episode, episode 32. I'm just calling it splitting and expanding. And then episode 33... What to do when your interventions fail? This this kind of topic came from a young lady down in Florida that I was working with earlier in the spring, and uh, I felt so bad for her because she's been kind of killing it down there, doing a great job, having fun, and just getting really excited. She's got her kids involved, and things were really going well. And then she did a split, and then things started kind of falling apart. I haven't heard from her in a while, but um, we want to talk talk about that a little bit more. You know, what to do when your interventions fail. So those are kind of the next four episodes that I've got teed up. My intent is to, I mean, get everything out within the next couple of days. Now, so I'm going to tell you two paths that are on my mind. There's the path that is in my mind about what I would like to see happen over the next week. And then there's the reality path. So the path that's on my mind right now after like, you know, two cups of coffee and a Red Bull is basically... I'm going to crank out about four or five episodes today, should have all of them edited and uploaded within the next 24 hours, and I'll get to work on the next ones after that and probably have seven or eight total episodes done within the next week. Then there's the reality path that is most likely going to happen, which is I'll do two or three of them today, edit one or two of them today. And then it'll take me another week to get the other two or three done, something like that. So I am actively working on getting more content out there. I've been really terrible about that. I've acknowledged it before. and I, I still recognize it. There are some things that make it difficult to get these episodes out with the regularity that I would like. I'd really like to dive deep and explain this because this is completely non-political you know, political or anything, but... There are some funky moving parts with that that I can't really get into right now either, which I apologize for. But someday, when I can completely speak freely about everything, I will uh, will definitely do so, and then it'll all make sense. So that kind of covers a couple of upcoming episodes and things, and let's just dive into some emails and questions here. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. I had a question about frames. So, you know, when should you cycle out old frames, and why do you do this? so i would think of of a frame inside of a beehive as basically kind of being like a kind of like a, a hair on your head or or like your dna like having a frame has all of the history of that colony so and i mean that specifically from like a chemical standpoint so if the bees are out in the environment and they're gathering things and then they they make the wax that becomes the foundation or that it ends up being drawn into the comb, all of the things that they gather essentially become a part of that comb. And if there is anything bad, any kind of disease or anything that is not healthy, it can also end up in the comb. So the comb itself can have a little bit of a history of the colony in it, either good or bad. Over time, it's just generally good to replace the foundation, because one, it becomes really, really brittle, right? So just to work with it, uh, you can press on it lightly and it'll just kind of snap and crack off. Uh, So from a management standpoint, it just, you know, you should probably replace it so it doesn't break off when you're handling it and manipulating the frames and moving things around. But the real important thing about it is really just from a hygienic standpoint to make sure that if there is anything in there, you're, you're getting it out at least on some, some sort of a schedule. Now, if you have one or two hives, I and mean, this is not a lengthy process, it's not really a big deal. If you have several of them, it becomes a bit more more laborious, I guess you could say. But a lot, of, a lot of times what people will do, they'll get on a cycle of maybe every three to five years. So let's say you had two hives and you had you know two deeps on each one and two mediums on each. You might do something where you're cycling out your crude frames every three years or maybe you're doing one of your deeps at the three-year point the next one at the four-year point and then you know if you had another one maybe at the fifth year whatever it might be you're, you're basically just getting on some kind of a routine where you're cycling out the old foundation the old drawn comb I should say not the foundation but the old drawn comb so that you get a clean start and eliminate anything that could be buried within that that foundation. Now, that is assuming that everything is healthy and everything is going great. If you have problems, if you have, if you were seeing any kind of disease, particularly now, you know, that if you're dealing with foul brood, whether it's American or European, if you're dealing with foul brood, you're burning the whole thing, right? You're just, you know, make a fire in the backyard, you know, consult with your local codes and ordinances and legal authorities. Don't just randomly burn things in places that you shouldn't because I don't want you to get in trouble. But, you know, make sure you're following the law, but, you know, take them somewhere, burn them, dispose of them. Because once that hive and those components and those pieces are infected, it's not going to go away. And it's really easy to spread to your other colonies or colonies that are in the area. So you just, you're going to burn everything. But there are other things that can come up that can be essentially almost cut out, where you could cut out the foundation. You know, but as an example if if you had like a uh, a wax moth as an example, right, the wax moth could get into the colony and could lay into a small area, lay some of the eggs, and maybe even a couple of the the young um uh, larval worms basically that crawl through the hive, you may have a small section that's infected. you can cut that out uh again, if it's a small section if it's large, you're better off to just dis- destroy the whole thing but if there's a small section, you could cut that out, toss it to the side, throw that frame in the freezer for, you know, two or three days. And then you can you could put that frame back into the hive and they'll redraw the comb back up. One thing with that is if you do freeze a frame, um, I don't know why I just thought of that song from the 80s. But anyway, if you freeze the frame and you're going to put it back into the colony, Put it outside somewhere, or at least put it somewhere where it can get back to room temperature first. I mean, you don't want to drop a 30-degree frame into a 90-some-degree hive. I mean, I know it's nice to think of the idea of dropping some air conditioning in there for them, but, you know, putting a cool frame in there with the hot, it's probably not a good idea. I had another question that was about, like, the flow should be on. Why am I not seeing honey? So, gauging the flow... It's always kind of a thing people ask me, like, hey, how do I know what's going on with, you know, in my area? And how do I know that the flow is on? So there's a few things you can do. There's, uh, there's different resources out there that you can look at through your, you know, local bee clubs or um, there are, I think I found things online where it actually was like a chart and it showed diagrams of all the things that are in bloom in different areas. And you can kind of align the chart to a different month but that's kind of like a Google search type of thing that you should be able to find something that talks about the forage and the browse and things that, that are going to be available. I shouldn't say the browse. We're not talking about like deer, but the forage that is available for the bees at different times of year. But the one thing I do is the pollen.com alerts. And I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Um, they're not great for a lot of detail. You know, like they're not going to talk about every single thing that might be in bloom in your area. As an example, you know, uh, cotton, you know, my bees will, will be on cotton here pretty soon that, you know, cotton, I've never seen that show up in my pollen alerts. Right. But they're good for letting you know, like in in the spring for me, it's usually like late February, early March timeframe. I get those emails from them that come out. Once it hits a certain threshold of pollen, they'll email me and say, Hey, pollen alert. And it's always, you know, cedar, elm, juniper, alder, those are always the ones that come up first in the very beginning of the season. So once those kick in, at least you know, okay, things are starting to bloom and that gives you an idea. Uh, outside of that, it's going to be very geographically specific because, I mean, I, I can drive 30 miles from where I am right now and things are going to be different just because of where I am in a suburb and surrounded by water. But I mean, the one simple thing, you know, you can kind of sit outside the hive and you'll see them come back and the pollen sacks are going to be loaded down, you know, with different colors of pollen. That's a pretty solid indicator. I mean, dandelion tends to come in fairly early, you know, where I am and in a lot of places. So looking for that pollen is going to kind of be the first step. Now, keep in mind too, that that nectar that's coming in, it has to, you know, get to a certain water level or water concentration. So, they're going to put the nectar into the colony and store it, and then it's going to evaporate to a certain level before they say, okay, now we're going to go ahead and cap that to actually make it capped honey. So just kind of keep that in mind too, that you'll see it stored as nectar first before it becomes honey. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but if whoever emailed me about that, if that doesn't, definitely shoot me a message and we'll, uh, we'll revisit that. Now I'm going to an email on this next one here. There is a queen situation. Let's see. Okay. So the subject of the email was that it just, I can't find my queen. And so they got a nuke. Uh, they put, you know, put everything into their hardware, got it all squared away. The queen was in a queen cage and they went out on the, a couple of days later, the queen was outside the cage. Everything was great. They did an inspection a couple days later and um, they didn't find the queen. And they noticed that there were some queen cells that were in there. And so now here we are. It looks like based on this email, it was probably about four or five days had gone by. And there are there were queen cells. Okay, so basically what happened here is new nuke and uh, queen was in a cage. They came back a couple days later. Queen had been released. And then during an inspection, the person who emailed me noticed that, that there were queen cells. So if you think about a nuke, a nuke should have... And this is kind of a you know, general rule of thumb. It's not always this way, but you should be getting if it's a five-frame nuke, you know, two frames of honey or honey and some nectar, and then the other three frames really should be loaded up with, you know, ideally at least a full frame or two of capped brood. But the other frame might, you know, might be a mix of, you know, eggs, larvae, and um, and some capped brood. So in this situation when he went back and did the inspection he could not find the queen anywhere and he found queen cells so what it sounds like to me is for one reason or another the colony didn't like that queen and they were like yeah we're we're not going to have her so they probably killed her and then made a queen cell from you know a, a young larva that was already there that had transitioned over during the the creation of that nuke. Because most likely, you know, the other beekeeper who was running that apiary and created that nuke for this person, they probably, you know, grabbed a few frames here and there from different hives, put it all together, and then just took a newly mated queen and put her in the cage, and she was in a brand new colony. They didn't know her, right? So it makes sense to go ahead and cage her and give them a couple days to get used to her scent. Now, this is a thing that can be debated and contested, you know, back and forth. There's a lot of people that say, look, if you've got a mated queen and she's a laying queen, because there is a difference between a mated queen and a laying queen. So if you have a laying queen that you take out of a uh, a colony and you put her into a colony that does not have a queen, that pheromone for her is at its strongest possible level because she is a laying queen. A queen that is mated, but then put into a queen cage and has not been laying, after about, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours, she will significantly reduce in size. She will get smaller. And her pheromone that she's putting out is also significantly reduced because she's not actively laying. So there's a couple of things we can talk about, you know, in a different area, different topic or different time around what we can do to kind of help with that. But in this case, uh, it sounds like she was released and they didn't feel the right vibe they needed to feel, and they probably killed her. So they went ahead and created emergency cells. The problem here, and I'm, I'm certainly not picking on this guy at all, right, because I think what he was trying to do was a pretty sound thing. He said, oh, gosh, I've got swarm cells here. I better get rid of them. Unfortunately, and again, when you're a new beekeeper, there's a lot of things coming at you, and it's hard to know you know, what's right or wrong at any given point in time. But I think that what he did was probably right for you know 90% of situations. He went ahead and, and killed all the queen cells and removed them because he was thinking, Oh, you know, for some reason there's there, there maybe they're overcrowded and you know, I don't want them to swarm. So I'm going to get rid of them. I think the problem is that they had already killed the queen and, and that was that. So uh, I, you know, I kind of made that suggestion, like, Hey, look around a little bit since you remove the queen cells, you might be in a bind, but give it a couple more days and come back and look. He came back and looked again a couple days later, there were no eggs and uh, no young larva, and it sounds like they are queenless. So my suggestion to him was, you know, go back to the the, um, the apiary and the business that he purchased the nuke from and see if he can get a um, a mated queen from them that he can then reintroduce to the colony. I think that, you know, in a situation where they have no eggs, they have no larvae, they have no ability to create another queen, hopefully they'll be more apt to accept this other queen, uh, otherwise... They're going to be die or they're going to die, and they're going to be uh, in a lot of trouble. So I haven't heard back from this gentleman in a while. I don't know what the outcome or the final resolution was on that, but hopefully he was able to get a replacement queen and get them back on track. So I had another email about feeding, like, when should I feed and when should I not feed? And this is a pretty kind of contested subject. I'll tell you what I do. And I'll tell you what I've heard and and what I know of other people doing. But when it's all said and done, I'll tell you, like everything else in life, there are people who just feel like there's only one way to do things. And it just has to be this way. It has to be my way. And if it's not that way, then it's just not right. That's fine. They can take that position if they want. I'm a firm believer that while there are probably, you know, A hundred ways to do something, maybe 90 of them work pretty well and get the job done, right? You have the 90% solution. And there's probably like eight or 10 of them that are really bad ideas, right? I I don't know if that's, I'm just making up numbers. But the point I'm getting at is there's not just one way to do things, right? And if you put feed in a colony and they don't need it, then they won't drink it. That's it. So you're going to put some sugar syrup in. They don't drink it. I guess they don't need it. Nobody's hurt, right? So what I do is, this is based on on Michael Palmer. I always do a two-to-one sugar syrup solution. And I've talked about it before, but again, we'll we'll go through it again. Take a bucket, put a line in the bucket, fill that um, bucket, and it can be any size container, doesn't matter. Fill it up to that line with sugar. Put water in, mix it up. I use a cordless drill with a paint-mixing paddle. And I fill it up with water uh, and I mix the sugar until it starts to settle down below that line. And then I fill it up with water again up to that line. And then I mix it again with that uh, mixing paddle and just kind of go through the whole thing, mix it as best as I can. The water will go down again, add a little more water. Basically, when you get to a point where adding water keeps you at that line and doing the mixing back and forth between mixing and adding water, the water no longer gets below that line or above that line. That's a perfect two-to-one combination. There's different schools of thought around, well, if you do a one-to-one, it stimulates this, and if you do a two-to-one, it stimulates that. What I've found is that if the bees have nectar coming in or they have sugar syrup coming in and they need space to put it in, they will draw comb. Whether it's 0.5-to-one, whether it's 10-to-one, whatever the concentration mix is, if they need space, they will draw the comb and they will make the space. I just like the idea, and again, this is not my original idea here, but Michael Palmer was like, hey, if you're going to give them something, why not give them something that's a higher concentration and you can just make less at one time? You're not dealing with, you know, two five-gallon buckets to get the same amount of sugar when you can do it in one single five-gallon bucket. So that makes sense to me. So I typically, if I have an existing colony in the spring, if for some reason I open the hive that very first time that I open the hive, If they have nothing, I mean, they're at a point where they're struggling, they're weak, they've got no more uh, food stores in there, you know, that might be a good time to consider feeding. Keep in mind that if you do still have some cooler nighttime temps, you don't really want to have, you know, frozen sugar syrup in there. But give them something, right? Something is better than nothing. But in general, you know, my colonies, I don't have to feed existing colonies in the spring. They go out, they find... You know, nectar, they find the resources they need. They ramp up really, really quickly in the spring. And, uh, you know, it's just, it takes care of itself. I primarily feed in two situations. One of them is, um, and I'm going to go into this in detail on these, on these upcoming episodes talking about swarming. But if you catch a swarm, if you catch a swarm or you catch a swarm in a swarm trap, I will feed those. If you do a split, I will typically feed splits. Uh, and I guess the last one would be packaged bees. If you're doing packaged bees, you'll want to feed them because they have nothing, right? But like I said, if you're on the fence and you're like, oh, God, should I feed? Should I not feed? Just feed them. Just feed them. And it, it's not the most nutritious thing in the world. Sugar syrup is not going to give the best nutritional value to your bees in comparison to what they would gather naturally in the environment. You know, it's kind of like, Hey, I got to keep my kids alive. And all I have is, you know, sweet tarts and, and, you know, gummy worms or whatever. Like, you know, yeah, it's not the best thing in the world for them, but it might keep them alive. Again, it's not the healthiest solution, but if again, they will choose what's in the environment over sugar syrup, they would rather have nectar from plants and flowers and things that are out there than they would to have it from a feeder of just sugar. But when you have those rainy days, particularly in the spring, particularly with these newer colonies, and they have nothing stored up yet or minimal resources, having that sugar in there can save the day for them. So hopefully that helps a little bit on the feeding side. And again, this is something that we're going to discuss again. And as you, you know, listen to more and more episodes, you're probably going to hear some things over and over. Uh, I do that for two reasons. One, it's to kind of reinforce things. There are certain concepts and ideas that just need to be talked about over and over again because th- with all the moving parts of beekeeping, it's hard to remember everything. So you'll hear some things over and over. The other part, too, is there are some people that just jump in for the first time at maybe episode 20. You know, Maybe they haven't had a chance to go back and, and listen to everything from earlier on. So you might hear some things that are kind of repetitive, so hopefully it won't be too uh, too painful for you. Well, folks, I am going to wrap up this Bee Buzz episode here. I've got, like I said, I've got five episodes of notes right here in front of me, right? So quick recap, we've got episode uh, episode 30, Free Honeybees for All. Episode 31, What Happened to My Queen? Episode 32, Splitting and Expanding. And episode 33, What to Do When Your Interventions Fail. Uh, That should get us uh, about halfway caught up to where we should be. Like I mentioned before, I get the ideas for episodes from your feedback and and the things that you all send me. So please feel free to drop me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. And if you have questions or you're running into some obstacles, I probably get anywhere between like three and 20 emails a day. And uh, I get to talk to people all over the country and occasionally, you know, all over the world. And it's really fun. I enjoy it. It's really exciting. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And if you're hitting a roadblock or obstacles, let me know. And we'll try to lend a hand. Outside of that, folks, I hope everyone is well. Stay out of trouble. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.